back everyone to the upgraded and improved tango banter. I am Elisaveta and I am excited to bring to you a little bit more of a updated experience. So those of you listening to the episode on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, hopefully your audio experience is better. And those of you joining me on YouTube, you can see I have a new setup and hopefully that also brings uh, more enjoyment for those of you watching me. Now, for the past few weeks, most of the topics I've been covering in the banter have been very emotional, dealing with a lot of emotional aspects of tango. And I thought that to start off the month of August, I'm going to turn things a little bit more in the practical direction and really once again come back to what are some of the practical things we can do on a daily basis on a weekly basis that can help us progress in tango that can help us enjoy tango more and the advice i'm sharing today is actually advice i really had to take myself the other day because I went out dancing and I ended up dancing with somebody that I've never danced with before and this person really wanted to dance with me. I was leading them and it was a very difficult dance. It was one of those situations where there was a lot of tension and this person was maybe not a beginner but definitely not uh, mechanically progressed to the level where the dance would be more effortless. And I had to come back to some of these basics, the real world practical aspects of being a tango dancer, that for the most part, no matter what level you're at, I would say a small percentage of your dances is going to be within the category of blissful and everything's working great and uh, you think that this person is your soulmate and you can just float off the ground and catapult into outer space. There are those dances for sure, but they're the minority. And in order to still enjoy and succeed as a tango dancer, we have to learn how to deal with the other majority of cases that are very much part of everybody's experience, no matter how many years you've been in tango. So I thought I would take this episode and talk about the things that now, after almost 15 years of dancing and almost 10 years of teaching tango, I can say with confidence that there are very uh, specific things that have helped me along the way. And these are not perhaps things that were obvious to me at first, and it's not things that teachers or other dancers told me at the beginning. There might, they might not even be the things that I would have understood at that time. But as I look back, I have this perspective of like more of understanding of what really counts, what really brought me or contributed to bringing me to this place where I am now, where I am able to enjoy tango in my way and 
and be successful and um, feel confident in my dance. And of course, there's always things that you're working on and there's a lot of the psychological and emotional part of it that's an ongoing process. But I think what plagues many dancers, including myself, and what plagues the tango community at large is that there's a lot of disagreement and ambiguity about what is really important to uh, succeed in tango. What is it really important to focus on? And the go-to answers a lot of times have to do with the time spent in class, studying with teachers, perfecting your technique, training. You might get feedback that you're supposed to spend 10,000 hours doing something before it gets better. Other people might say it's all about the dance time at the milonga and how many people you end up dancing with and maybe you need different levels of people to practice with and then you need practice partners and then you need to go to workshops and then you go to marathons and festivals and maybe you have to go to Buenos Aires and it's all sort of like uh, out there for you to do but sometimes it's not clear exactly what to do to end up in a place where you feel like you have things under control. <laughs> so this episode is really for those of you who are at the beginning of your tango journey and you're wondering what are concrete things, practically speaking, that I need to be focusing on that will yield the most results. Maybe you are a dancer who's been around for a long time and you're still wondering what is it that's missing? What, are, what, is the, what is it that you can tweak that would improve your success on the dance floor? Maybe you've been frustrated that you're not really getting what you want. I also was thinking about this episode uh, in terms of something that might be helpful for those of you who have been following women, mostly, who are thinking about leading. And you're at that phase where it's in your consciousness, you want to do it, but anytime you think about it, the next thing you think is, oh my God, that's too hard. It's, there's so much to learn. I, I don't even know where to start. It just seems so overwhelming. You might say, I don't even have following under my belt yet. First, I need to understand following before I start leading. And vice versa, if you are a leader and you are thinking about following or you're starting to learn to follow. I've been hearing more and more enthusiasm from men about following and about wanting to learn uh, the proper techniques. So these, this advice is really going to be helpful for you as well. So wherever you are in your journey, I hope it leaves you encouraged and inspired. And I would love for you to share uh, your experiences, with these concepts and how they land for you, you're always welcome to comment below if you're watching on YouTube. You can also join my private Facebook group and the link to that is in the show notes. So let's come back to this experience that I was alluding to earlier where I went to Emilonga and this wonderful person asked me if I would lead them for false, which if you know me, that's a really good opportunity to dance with somebody new. I consider valse to be one of the best introductory tandas that you could have with someone because it's a fairly easy musical structure. 
So I said yes. And the moment we got on the dance floor and I took the embrace, I realized that it was going to be a very difficult tanda because this person had a lot of weight and a lot of mass in their movement. So it was very hard to move them around. I realized I had to get really clear about what I wanted to do with them and what I couldn't. I had to scratch a lot of the vocabulary I typically do. I had to also simplify my musicality patterns that I wanted to show but I felt that there was limitation. So I had to adjust all of these different aspects in my dance in order to be able to dance with this person and have it be enjoyable for her and for me. And I think that in the past, whenever I let's say, quote unquote, got stuck with somebody who's a beginner, who's a really bad dancer, I would have immediately felt disappointed. And also I would feel the dread of having to dance with someone like that. And feeling this uh, tension between what is available to me and, and what I wanted to do. But I realized with time that really all of the answers and all of the information is contained in the embrace. And if you can learn to modulate the embrace, you can actually make it work. And no, it's not going to look perhaps what you ultimately want. Maybe you're very ambitious and you have a lot of vocabulary that you want to show. So it might not still look like that, but you will be able to make it enjoyable. So the first piece, the first focus, I would say, is the embrace. In a way, it's kind of the alpha and omega. Now, I know some of you out there are like, oh, what's new? Because the embrace is something that everybody talks about. And there's so much discussion and philosophizing about what exactly is the embrace. And I know that for a long time for me, whenever people would tell me that it's all about the embrace, I would nod my head as if I understood, but really I'd be like, but what does that actually mean? Because I used to think that the embrace is just a shape. It's a shape of how I hold my arms and how my partner holds their arms. And when I first was dancing tango, it was very much about, is it supposed to be like this or like this? And then I'm just focusing on actually holding that shape because I think the embrace is just this shape that I'm responsible for holding. But I want to suggest a different metaphor for the embrace that might actually give you an insight about the function of the embrace and why it's such a powerful tool and really why all of your issues can be resolved if you understand how to use the embrace. So to be completely unoriginal, I'm going to uh, compare tango to driving a car, <laughs> which I know is not the perfect metaphor, but it's a very common one. And I know just like me, there are many dancers out there who have gotten a compliment where they were likened to a Ferrari, 
you know, like when I, I used to follow a lot and somebody really wanted to give me a compliment, they'd be like, oh man, it's like driving a Ferrari. <laughs> and it's funny, but because somehow we understand what that means. And so I think, you know, as problematic as it is to compare another person to a vehicle, let's go ahead and go with that metaphor. And if you think about race car drivers, I have been recently into watching the Formula One race documentary on Netflix. And one thing I've noticed is that all of the race car drivers who are mostly young men in their early 20s, maybe late 20s, they all have tremendous amount of muscle built up around their neck. And it's really kind of striking how much those muscles are developed. And what that told me, the amount of tension required for them to actually drive the car that fast, it kind of let me see the impact on the body and how much strength they have to have. If you're just a normal driver, not a race car driver, and you were to sit in a race car and ask to drive at 200 miles an hour, you would find that it's a very different experience than driving a just your general car on the street. And where would you feel that most is you would feel it in the demand in your arms and shoulders driving the car. You would be using your muscles in your arms, your hands, you would be holding the wheel. And there is a particular term for this thing that occurs for us when we are driving. And I, I'm sorry, I don't remember the term right now. Maybe some of you know what this term is, but it's something our nervous system does very easily. And that is, it's a proprioception skill that we have that allows us to feel the space around the vehicle when we drive. So when you get in the car next time and you put your hands on the wheel and you begin to manipulate your car and, and you're turning and you're backing up and you're looking around you, all of those actions require that you feel the space around the car. The car becomes an extension of your body. You begin to feel where are the edges. That's how we can park or parallel park. Maybe not so good, but that's the skills that we use to do that. So the moment you put your hands on the wheel and you take the wheel and you start applying force and you are in this relationship between you and the vehicle you're driving, this is the point of communication between you and that vehicle. And this is also the action that allows you to feel the space around the vehicle that you're in. Now, think of an experience that most of us probably have had. Have you ever been in a car without power steering? <laughs> I didn't know this until I was about to rent a car many, many years ago. And the guy at the renter's place gave me a choice of getting a car with power steering or without. So I said, oh, it's cheaper to get it without power steering. Let me try it. <laughs> and I get in and I tried to turn the wheel and it was so hard. Like it required me to like use my core and really 
put a lot of energy into turning the wheel. So it was a lot of work. I had to do it through my arms, through my core, through my whole body. I had to use my feet, right? If I got into this car and just put my hands on and just pushed a little bit, I wouldn't go anywhere. And I also wouldn't have that connection with the car. I had to match the demand of the car with the effort I was putting in with my arms, with my body. So those two extremes where a car with no power steering versus a car that has a lot of power and you have to use a lot of power in your body to control it, those are both experiences that have very much to do with you coming into contact with another object and that object has mass, it performs a certain way, it acts a certain way and you have to adapt to it. You can't get into a car without power steering and just be upset that it doesn't have power steering. Like there's no choice, you're in the car, you got to go somewhere. Similarly, when you are Let's say you are in a race car, you're in like that $2 million Formula One race car, you wouldn't want to drive it in the street. You know, one thing that I learned that cars like that, race cars, their engines run so hot that they cannot go below a certain, uh, a certain threshold of speed. So a lot of times, you know, I've heard people comment that if you see a Ferrari, a Ferrari race car driving in the middle of the city, it's kind of like somebody doesn't understand that they're actually hurting their car because this car is not meant to go so slow. So there's these parameters that you have to consider when you're driving that it's about you and your preference, how much effort you like to feel what you like to feel as a result of that. Do you like just the function of a car? Do you just use it for getting from one place to another? Or are you more of a person who treats driving as an aesthetic experience and maybe you're into really having nice cars and maybe you're into collecting cars, maybe you're into racing. These are all parameters that are gonna dictate your relationship with the vehicles that you drive and it's gonna dictate how your body interacts with them. So of course, from here, I hope you see how I can relate this idea of the embrace to dancing. What's difficult about tango is that the object that you're quote unquote driving is not an object, it's another person. And that person can change. A car doesn't, right? Like once a car doesn't have power steering, it doesn't have power steering unless you put it in there, but it's not gonna suddenly have power steering. That would be really difficult. However, in tango, it's very much like that, that you might dance with the person <clears throat> who is inexperienced enough that they might switch from one to the other. Sometimes they feel like they have power steering and sometimes they don't. And this is where the concept they've embraced is so important because both people have to understand what the purpose of the embrace is. And for leaders, it is very much about that you're looking for that connection with your partner so that you can feel the space around them and navigate through the space, right? You have to feel the space around your partner's body. You have to feel the space in relation to other people. For followers, it's very much about receiving the information and then using your power steering to move 
to get there. And in this case, the follower position is very powerful. You know, we think that leaders are the ones in charge, but if the followers decide not to have power steering, leaders have to deal with it. So whatever ambition the leader has, it really depends on the follower. So let's say you want to race Formula One, you're not going to go there in your, you know, beat up car with no power steering. It doesn't make sense, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't try to do that. So if you are dancing with somebody who has um, a lot of issues mechanically and they're not allowing you to execute your moves, that is something that you have to adapt to in that moment. So you have to let go of certain ambitions and deal with it. So the leader position in some ways is, is weakened. Uh, it can be even like eliminated. The power of the leader can be eliminated if the follower does not actually execute what uh, the leader has in mind. The, the follower has to agree to it. <laughs> and we as followers, and this is something that really took me aback when I finally understood what was meant about the power of the embrace. We as followers, or I should say, we in the following role, whenever we dance as followers, we are the ones who are deciding how much power steering we have. We can be difficult to move or we can be easy to move. And how do we decide that? Well, that's where we consider the terrain, <laughs> the setting, <laughs> the music. And here I know I'm mixing metaphors, but I was imagining the idea of like, you wouldn't take a Formula One race car to drive uh, off-road somewhere over boulders and, you know, with no asphalt, right? Like, it would ruin the car. Similarly, you wouldn't take a, a huge Chevy truck and put it in a Formula One race because that car does, is not meant for it. So with Tango, it's a little bit like that where you have to say, what's the music? Uh, what's the space like? Who am I dancing with? What's available? What is this driving experience about? And sometimes it's about just making it work so that you don't hurt yourself. And other times it's about propelling yourself through space and going 200 miles an hour. So it depends. In both scenarios though, what's really important to understand, and this is, I think, the point that gets lost and for many people, they still, they dance for years and they don't actually understand what they're supposed to be doing. The embrace is an active thing, the same way like driving is. Driving, you have your hands on the wheel. Sometimes you use tone to turn, but then you relax. You use tone to do something else, you relax. And it's an activity that keeps you engaged until we have self-driving cars, that is. But in tango, it's very similar. So for both leader and follower, it's about learning what it means to activate your embrace within the context of connecting to another person. The leaders have to be more intentional. The followers have to be more on the receptive side. They have to receive and interpret. And this understanding of the embrace, unfortunately, does not uh, get taught a lot or people don't learn it until they are in tango for a long time. So one of the ways that I suggest that people work on the embrace at this level is definitely to work with somebody privately, one-on-one, -on -one, somebody who can 
have you feel it. It's the fastest way that you can understand what it's supposed to be. So I can talk till I'm blue in the face and I'm hoping that I'm giving you some concrete experiences that you can connect with uh, conceptually that can connect you to the idea. But really, if you have any ambiguity about what the embrace is supposed to do, and I have this feeling that it's mostly for followers. A lot of times it's the followers who are just, they just kind of haven't thought about it or they haven't experienced really what it's supposed to be. I suggest that you seek someone who can have you feel it and can explain it to you and you can really feel the difference because it's really a game changer once you understand. You don't even have to learn any other new pattern or special effect. If you just get clarity for yourself what you are supposed to feel in the embrace that will totally uh, change your dance and it's kind of the biggest secret you know when people are wondering like what is it about these advanced dancers why are they not dancing with me what are they looking for what are they after I, I really I, I say this all the time it's like the advanced dancers the ones that you really want to dance with not not necessarily the professionals you know professionals are a different category but the social dancers that everybody wants to dance with they're the ones with the best embrace so if you know that about somebody and you know that they're credited with having an amazing embrace uh, and you want to dance with them what do you need to do you don't need to focus on your boleo technique you don't need to wear short dresses you just need to make sure your embrace is of the highest caliber right it's the connection it's about communication the more subtle you can feel from your partner the more subtlety the more sensitivity you have towards your partner the better so i would say the number one thing for everyone to focus on whether you're a beginner leader and you're just starting out to lead or you're a beginner follower or you're a follower switching to leading or vice versa the number one thing to get straight is embrace and i gotta i'm gonna finish this little soapbox on the embrace by saying this something i've observed a lot is that for many followers who are thinking about leading, it takes them a long time to get the courage to start learning to lead. But I've noticed for a lot of leaders, once they decide they're going to follow, they just start following. And they have this attitude of like, oh, I know how to do this, I just walk backwards. <laughs> but what I found with most leaders, that's very difficult, is leaders are very heavy because they're supposed to be, as a leader, you're supposed to have a lot of mass. Your embrace is supposed to have a lot of structure. As a follower, your embrace is supposed to be very receptive and you're supposed to have power steering. <laughs> it's very hard to move a leader who dances in the follower role because it is very much like driving a car with no power steering. I think this is the perfect analogy. Uh, it's, I, I welcome the challenge. I very rarely, pass up the opportunity to lead a leader because it is the test of my skill to adapt to that. <laughs> and, I, and I take that as part of my training 
uh, is to see, okay, what are you going to do? How are you going to make it work? What do you do with your body to make it easy on yourself and to make the dance happen? Now, the second thing that you really want to focus on, and it's not the thing you're going to get in class. It's not the thing you're going to get in privates. This is something that really does require for you to go out there and dance with lots of people in the same space. And that is navigation. We don't realize that tango is really so much more about navigation than it is about vocabulary. And in this way, I think it is kind of surprising for a lot of people because most people spend so much time right at the start focusing on the vocabulary and learning more and more complicated steps. But then when you get on the dance floor, you realize you cannot execute them, partially because you don't have the space, partially because it's confusing to try to do different circular patterns in a space with lots of people moving around you. And so this is very discouraging for a lot of people. And for many, this is why they choose not to start leading at the malanga. It's not because they don't have vocabulary. It's because they're afraid of bumping into other people. So the navigation actually is a more prized skill than the vocabulary. And I've proved this over and over again because I teach women how to lead and I am able to teach someone in a matter of one afternoon the essential pieces of vocabulary that they have to know to start leading. By the end of my workshop, usually, perhaps with some prompts from me and some help, but the students can execute all of the basic movements that will allow you to dance at a milonga. But how many of them actually go dance at the milonga right away? How long does it actually take them? Usually months or years. They'll, they'll come and they'll come to class and they'll lead in class, they'll lead in the workshop, but they all say that it's so scary to go out there in the wild and to do it at a milonga. And most of the time, it all falls apart. Just last week, I danced with one of my students who was in my workshop and we were working on close embrace and we danced the following week at a practica and, you know, she was laughing but she was also very frustrated because everything she tried didn't work you know I was following her and she was trying these new movements that she just learned but she couldn't remember them a lot of times we can't remember them not because they're not there but because we're in a very different state of mind and we're tapping into a different part of our brain you know dancing live dancing socially in a milonga is a very focused uh, place in the mind you can't really get too much into thinking about things. It disrupts the connection. So that learning of being present with other dancers on the dance floor without bumping into them, that is the skill that will make you a successful dancer. And for leaders especially, this is something that is brutal, that if you don't have the floor craft, you're not going to make it. A lot of times people are not going to want to be around you. They're not going to want to dance around you. They might not want to dance with you just because you bump into people and furniture and things like that. So there's a lot of pressure from the social side of tango to remain healthy in terms of the floor craft and the, the whole community dancing together. 
we want a beehive structure. We want everybody to be working together. And that navigation, that ability to go through spaces around other people and deal with lighting situations and somebody just jumped in front of you, like all of that is the real skill that needs to be honed. So if you're at that place where you're kind of you know, you're dipping your toe, but you're saying, oh, well, I'm not yet good at navigation, so I'm going to do some more classes, or I'm going to go do a workshop on navigation, or I'm going to go watch YouTube video about navigation. <laughs> you know, you can do all of that, but really what you have to do is just start doing it. You have to start actually pushing yourself to navigate and go into that scary space because that's that's really what matters and that's what pays off in the end. That's what's going to serve you later and that's what I found for myself is that when I was dancing with this person who was very difficult to 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 dance with navigation was a totally important aspect of it because they weren't going to places that I expected sometimes and they their range of motion was not what I intended and there were a couple of times that I almost bumped into some people and so my attention was not necessarily on musicality. I wasn't like in this state of, oh, just, you know, being lost in the music, catapulted into outer space. No, it was very much like balls to the wall. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to produce the best possible experience here for both of us, knowing the limitations that we have. And it was very practical. It was very strategizing. Uh, I had to look around a lot and making sure that I have a lot of space. It's a very intense experience. So number one, embrace. Number two, navigation. Those, those two things, I would say, are the absolute ABCs of tango, really. And <clears throat> the third one, I would say, is a mindset shift that's required. And, you know, I think that with mindset, it's of course it's something that has to change over time you can't just change your mindset today like right away you're like oh it's a different thing so I'm just gonna change my mind it doesn't work that way you have to sort of let it wash over you and sit with it and understand what that means and it took me a while to understand this concept of mindset when it comes to dancing tango you have to understand that what you're doing is you are collaborating with all of these other people on the dance floor and you're all together. So tango is tricky, not just because the dance is improvisational within the partnership and, you know, requires you to sort of think in a different way than other dances, but also because we're in a line of dance and other people are with us, around us all the time, it's much more complicated because now we have to consider that we are part of a whole. We are part of this beehive, a choreography that's spontaneously happening moment by moment. So I still have to work on that one myself. It's still easy for me to sort of get into my own head and get really involved with what's happening in the moment with my partner. But as I've gone on and danced more and more, I realized that the ability to pull back and not be so concerned with what's happening right in front of you, but to take in the whole scene. I think the metaphor would be like if you're driving and you're only looking ahead of you tunnel vision and you're just focusing on one little point versus you relaxing your vision 
so that you're using your peripheral vision as well and that you're able to take in the whole scene. That's the kind of mind shift that I felt was really powerful for me when I began leading especially that <clears throat> I wasn't just a little island floating out in space doing my own thing that I have to consider other people as part of my creation and it shifts your focus a bit you know it doesn't it makes it a little bit of a different stakes you know, the stakes are high as they are already when you're thinking about dancing around other people and you're having to navigate and then there's these questions of embrace. Like we're already having to deal with a lot of variables here. But now the stakes are even higher because you're not just you. You are part of a massive whole depending on how big the crowd that you're dancing in. So these three things, embrace, navigation, and mindset. These are the three things that I would give right away to new dancers and to encourage them to stay with these three things as they progress. So wherever you are, you can look to these three things and assess your tango journey based on those three. And I would even argue that for any one of you who is struggling uh, to get the dances that you want or you're dissatisfied with your experiences on the dance floor. It really has to do with one of these three things. It's either the embrace, there's something going on with the embrace. And unfortunately, we don't have a setup for people to get feedback about that from their equals. Like at the Milonga, it's not appropriate to give somebody feedback. So somebody might not dance with you because your embrace is uncomfortable, but they won't have an opportunity to say that to you. So you might not get that feedback and then you dance with somebody else and it works with them. And that, that happens a lot, right? It works with some people, but it doesn't work with others. Why? 90% of the time it's the embrace. Honestly, it's, it's always comes back to the embrace. Most of the clients I've worked with in the past few years, most of the students who come into my class, the biggest breakthroughs, the biggest results, the most amount of positive feedback that my students have gotten after my instruction has been when I reveal this thing about the embrace to them, when I have them feel what it's supposed to be like. So if you have access to a teacher who has a really, really great understanding of embrace technique and mechanic and who can explain to you how to do it and they understand anatomy go to that person and have them dance with you and give you some feedback I think that would be the best thing because there's no other way there's no other way for you to know unfortunately now if you are in LA and you are in need of some one-on-one -on -one time I have just launched a summer special on my private sessions, so you can check that out. I'm including the link uh, in the show notes. Those are meant really for people who are trying to overcome some sort of obstacle, who really want to up-level their experience at the Malanga. They don't want to waste any more time, and they really want to get it. If you really want to understand the embrace, this is something that um, I would be happy to work with you on. Now, if you've made it this far on this episode, I invite you to subscribe to my channel so that you know of the next episodes coming up. 
I also welcome you to sign up for my newsletter that will alert you to upcoming events and the different things that are coming up, my travel dates, my teaching workshop dates and things like that. So that link is also in the show notes. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to bantering with you next week. Until then, ciao.